Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, October 14th, we're studying Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 45 through chapter 21, verse 17. The Lord tells Ezekiel to proclaim that he is going to draw his sword from its sheath in order to cut off his people for their rebellion against him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor David Fleming. Pastor Fleming serves as Associate Pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and as Executive Director of Spiritual Care with Doxology. Pastor Fleming, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor. It's great to be with you. It is a joy to have you with us. Just briefly, Pastor Fleming, as we get started, tell us a little bit about your work with doxology. It's been a great blessing to me in my pastoral ministry, and I, I know there are, our listeners will be blessed by hearing a little more about it. Sure. So doxology is the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel, and our, our main job is to help pastors be the best pastors they can be. So what we particularly love doing is having pastors gather with us for, through our classic program, which has got three parts to it. And in that, we work on the care of souls, helping pastors to improve the craft of caring for people's souls by delivering the Lord's gifts to them appropriately to their particular needs. Also, we help pastors examine themselves for oh, various competencies and skills and deficits they might have, such as oh, maybe depression or compassion fatigue, uh, improve some things like that with them. We also train congregations how to take care of their pastors and uh, and utilize them well. And we find that to be a lot of joy when we get the pastors and the laity together. And then finally, we bring the pastors and their wives together for the third part of our program and uh, encourage their marriages and and our joy in the word of the Lord together. So it's it's delightful. We've also been been granted by the Office of National Mission of our Synod to do a number of retreats called Take Heart because of COVID time and the great challenges that's caused pastors. So in, let's see, we just finished our 15th Take Heart respite retreat this past week down in Illinois. And uh, so I think we're around 400 pastors now, a little more than that, who have gone through this Take Heart program to be encouraged and strengthened uh, during this challenging time where, I don't know, a lot of congregations have been kind of mad at each other and mad at their pastor or whatever. And and the pastors have reported over and over again that this has been a lot of refreshment for them and strengthening to get back in there and, and serve their people well. God be praised. That's a great blessing to the church, to her pastors and her people alike. Thank you. And if, if anyone wants to find out more about doxology, where is the website? Is it doxology.us? Am I right about that? That's right, doxology.us. And on that website, by the way, there's also lots of resources, various videos of Dr. John Kleinig, Dr. Harold Sinkbile, our my predecessor, who was executive director, and other theologians and pastoral teachers to give us all sorts of wonderful 
uh, resources for dealing with things these days. In fact, we do have most recently, Ryan Anderson spoke at a conference for us. He's uh, a Roman Catholic layman who's quite knowledgeable on transgender issues, on marriage issues in our society, and uh, speaks faithfully as we would about these matters and compassionately too. And then also Dr. Lucas Woodford on helping pastors address these kind of issues in our day and our congregations and care for the souls afflicted by these things. Mm -hmm. So they're wonderful, helpful resources all over the place on our website. Yeah, th- those are some fantastic resources on that website. Now, do do any of those resources deal with the prophet Ezekiel, Pastor Fleming? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably we're we need one now, don't we? Okay. Um, I right. mean, now, and I could think of you know lots of sections of Ezekiel that I preached on in my life and drawn great comfort from, but I must confess that this section is one that I've never carefully looked at in my entire life until prepping for this beautiful opportunity with you, Pastor Apple. Well, well, God be praised for those opportunities to, to dig into his word in sections where we haven't done as deeply before. So we are in Ezekiel, at least as it's, as it's numbered in the English text that we've got before us. And I'll let you talk more about that, Pastor Fleming. We're, we're in the end of Ezekiel 20 and the beginning of chapter 21. As we prepare to jump into this section today, what kinds of information do we need about the context, the historical, theological, what Ezekiel's been saying right around that'll help us with this text we've got? Sure. So Ezekiel in chapter 20 has just been actually giving some hope and encouragement to God's faithful people that there's going to be this day after we get through all of this judgment that he's been talking about quite a bit. There's going to be purified people that will faithfully return and worship the Lord. And it's a beautiful, rich promise that this is coming. And indeed, that's why God does judgment, right? To purify us, to to take away that which is uh, sinful and wrong and unholy, and to prepare prepare us to receive his good gifts and to live out our life as God's called us to do. So he set that up in chapter 20. And and I think because, because this large section that we're in in Ezekiel since, boy, what, what's it been here? Since chapter four, um, we've had, what? I don't, by one count, it's 21 different pronouncements of judgment are, are in this section. <laughs> um, by another count, it's 14. I'm not sure whose count is right. But regardless, there's a lot of pronouncements of judgment here. You know, Kind of basically all law sermons, I think, if if we were if we're evaluating them according to law and gospel, and and why why are why are these going on and on and on and on? Because uh, Ezekiel, the Lord, is incredibly patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He he loves everybody. So he's he's got to proclaim this word of judgment, and and he has to do it repeatedly because it's not sinking in and and people are avoiding it. So you've been waiting in this stuff for a lot longer than I have, Pastor Apple, but here we're we we've been there was that nice little light in chapter 20 for a bit and now we get into this another section of judgment with the sword. And since you mentioned that this is in the Hebrew, this is chapter 21 then. Uh, English is uh, chapter 20 verse 45. In the Hebrew, that's the beginning of chapter 21. So this is clearly a, a line of demarcation in this in Ezekiel's account. And here he now turns to uh, the word of the Lord about the sword that the Lord is going to unsheath for judgment. 
Right. So, it, and that's just helpful. We won't. We will be referring to the text today according to the the numbers that are given in the English Standard Version, with twenty verse forty five through twenty one verse seventeen. But that is one of the reasons why we made the break where we did is because thematically. 20 verse 45 really goes and following really goes with what comes in chapter 21. And that is marked out very clearly in the Hebrew text, all is chapter 21. So that's that's why we're starting where we are today. And, and actually, I, I think the section concerning this sword is going to go beyond what we get for today. In terms of what we're going to get today, Pastor Fleming, how would you structure the text that we're going to read this morning? Yeah, so we've got two sections basically here that sort of, I think, oh, one favorite theologian of mine, Horace Hummel, calls it the uh, riddle of the sword. And then that would be through, uh, oh, verse, uh, well, let's see here. That would be about to verse 7 of chapter 21. And then uh, verse 8 and on is the song of the sword. There will be two more oracles that go on with this sword a theme that will continue on through uh, the rest of chapter 21 in the English. So, um, All right, so we've, we've got two sections in our text for today that deal with the sword of the Lord. And, and uh, yeah, the first part is maybe a riddle or a parable. It sounds like that then the Lord is going to explain, mm-hmm. and then comes this, this song of the sword. And so we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about, well, maybe we'll start before we read any of the text. In terms of the sword— this is a favorite figure of Ezekiel's. How does it get used within this book and in, in the text that we've got for today? Yeah, so 90 times Ezekiel uses the word sword in his a text, which is remarkable. And 15 of those come here in, in chapter 21. So this is, it's obviously a, a major theme here. What is that? Let me think. My math isn't that quick. What's that? One-sixth of the time yeah. that it's used is uh, right here in this relatively small section of, of Ezekiel. All right. So let's let's pick up the text. Again, we're, we're starting in Ezekiel 20, verse 45, and we're going to go through 21, verse 7, as Dr. Hummel calls it, the riddle of the sword. Right. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward the southland, preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land in the Negev. Say to the forest of the Negev, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from south to north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they are saying of me, Is he not a maker of parables? The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuaries. Prophesy against the land of Israel and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you and will draw my sword from its sheath and will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. Because I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked, therefore my sword shall be drawn from its sheath against all flesh from south to north. And all flesh shall know that I am the Lord. I have drawn my sword from its sheath. It shall not be sheathed again. As for you, son of man, groan. With breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that it is coming, 
Every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord God. That's the first part of our text. That was Ezekiel 20, verse 45 through 21, verse 7. Another one of those texts that's just difficult to read. You know, when you, you read it out, out loud, particularly, it's just oh, over and over again, news of, of judgment. I know this is the Old Testament, but one of those texts that when you're, if you were to read it within a worship service and you say, this is the word of the Lord, or this is the gospel of the Lord, it sounds like it's hard to say, thanks be to God. Correct. Because it's so destructive and awful. And yet, thanks be to God that there is judgment. And this judgment is all meant out of out of love. This this entire warning is meant out of love, of course, because God doesn't actually want to destroy anybody, at least not eternally. So this is, again, this beautiful sign of God's exceeding patience that he's going to give this warning again. It reminds me of Jesus sitting with Oh, his enemies, you know, with those, like that famous text where uh, they, they show up with the man with the dropsy or edema, and they're watching Jesus closely or carefully. But that isn't like, you know, you watched your beloved when you were dating. That That is uh, watching to find what's wrong with them and to, 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 you know, find something to criticize and attack him for. And, and yet he's at that table with those men. I'm always just overwhelmed by that, that Jesus willingly, well, his whole incarnation makes him vulnerable to people that hate him and are against him. And, and, and why is he there, even when he has to speak these similarly harsh words of judgment, it's because he loves them and he, he wants them to repent and believe and be saved by him. He is going to die for them, isn't he? So here too, right? So the Lord uh, is speaking these words of judgment to Jerusalem and Israel because he cares for them and also because his judgment will benefit them. It will, the, the whole Babylonian captivity will ultimately be a benefit to the faithful and restore Israel back to a, a faithful reception of the Lord's gifts, at least for a while. And, uh, and so this is actually love in action. It just doesn't particularly sound like it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that you, you bring this up because, and, and this is, I think, such an important thing for us to remember in Ezekiel and in several of the Old Testament prophets, where the Lord does speak lots of words of judgment that the fact that he is speaking to them means that he loves them. I, I'm always reminded in conversations like these of the, the words from the prophet Amos, where Amos predicts a famine of the uh, word of the Lord. And that's the terrifying thing. You know, as, as hard as this is to read, the Lord's speaking to his people, which means he loves them. But to hear of a famine of of God's word that He would stop speaking, it, I mean, it's kind of like you know when when you're growing up and your parents are mad at you because you've done something wrong and they're yelling at you, and maybe you argue with them for a while and then they stop talking to you. That's when you know that they're really really mad at you. But while they're talking to you, they're still. I mean, that that love for you is evident. I think it's very similar with the way the Lord treats His people here. I completely concur. I was thinking of the same analogy, actually. That, um, and you see this with families, right, where they stop talking to each other, or after Malachi, there's just nothing until John the Baptist shows up, which, 
which is why when John the Baptist shows up, that's such a big deal that the word of the Lord is is coming again to his people because he does love them. He's chasing after them. But, oh, I agree with you. As long as he's talking, we're in better shape than if he isn't. That, that's right. And the, the other thing that came to mind, we uh, if you're in the, the three-year lectionary, we've been in the gospel according to St. Mark. And in Mark chapter 10, there's that rich young man who comes to Jesus and and he thinks he can do something to inherit <laughs> eternal life. And Jesus challenges him. And and after the young man says, you know, well, I've done all that, Jesus, that Mark tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he spoke some really hard words to the man. But but that I mean, that's another text that's a reminder that when when God is speaking to us, even when they're words of law and judgment, when he's calling out our idols, it is done out of his love because he's he wants us to put our trust in him. Yes, because those idols are always going to disappoint us and fail us. And they're, they're not going to be able to carry us through death to life everlasting. Lord knows that. So he's he's got to. I've always kind of wondered if that rich young man actually comes around later, which is why mm. we know the story. I don't know. Huh. I think it's I, and, and why that little thing about he loved him in there. Yeah. Except, and honestly, as, a, as pastors, right, we've had to speak words that people did not want to hear that they thought were unloving that needed to be said for the sake of their souls. And, uh, and it's not easy. It's not easy to speak these words sometimes. And, and the fact we speak them is precisely because we love them. It would be a lot easier to just say, Oh, whatever you like is fine with me or fine with God. Right. Right. We actually have to, we have to be held accountable to our Lord and for the benefit of the people we're serving. Well, and I mean, there's the prophet Ezekiel who was called back in chapter three to be the watchman for Israel, that it, it would have been easier on Ezekiel to not say anything, but that would have been to forsake his post and to, to not call out what the Lord had given him to call out. And it would have been, meant death, not only for the people to whom he was given to preach, but also for him. And so, and, and then of course, and we shouldn't fail to mention that the Lord strengthened Ezekiel for that task. He didn't just set him up there on the post and say, okay, you're on your own, but he actually strengthened him to do that faithful preaching. Indeed, as he does all of us to be faithful in, in his word and strength and to be able to speak the truth in love as, as we're called to do. So here, right, the Lord gives the word to Ezekiel, right? This, none of this is original. Ezekiel doesn't think any of this up, right? It, I mean, it, the word of the Lord came to him, uh, so he's going to proclaim it. Interestingly, Luther thinks that way about Joseph, if I could just for a moment, that the dreams that came to Joseph were because dad had made him the priest for the family. That's what the coat of Luther calls it many threads rather than many colors. He made him the priest of the family. So then the word of the Lord came to him in those dreams. And what's what's your job when the word of the Lord comes to you? You got to proclaim it. So Joseph does. And what happens? His brothers hate him and his dad hates him for it. So thinks he's trying to, and, and same thing here, right? So Ezekiel's given this word, he proclaims it because the Lord gave it to him. And, and he's, you know, called what? Son of, son of man or son of Adam, actually, right? In the Hebrew to, and did you catch that beautiful parallel there in uh, verse 46 and uh, chapter 21, verse two, that set, preach, prophesy, set your face, preach and prophesy. And which tells us that these, uh, that this, 
repeating of that in the chap the beginning of chapter 21 is helping us understand what's going on there at the end of chapter 20. Okay, well, and that's that's where this thought of the riddle or the parable comes in, and and maybe why you know at least when you even without the verse numbers and the chapter division that's placed there in English, it seems a little strange that well, how does how does forty five through forty eight go with the rest? Because in in forty five through forty eight, the main image is fire, and then the sword doesn't really show up in until you get into chapter twenty one, and yet these two things do go together. So how? How do they go together, this this preaching, setting the face toward the Southland, the Negev, then to the preaching against Jerusalem in chapter 21? Right. So I, chapter 21 unpacks for us what the imagery means in chapter 20. And it is just a different image, right? So we're going to use fire rather than a sword. The, the thing about a fire is that... Y- you know, when these wildfires happen, these awful things like have happened in California and out west and so forth, and is that you, you, you know, once they get going, you can't control these things. They do, they wipe out everything. Of uh, I've, I did talk to a pastor at a doxology event uh, that was specifically for pastors that have been through these awful disasters. It, his church had was destroyed. His home was destroyed. And yet, or his church building and his home were destroyed. But this cross in the middle of their parking lot was fine. <laughs> I mean, it's this crazy little thing. But but normally fire, it just, you know, it, it lands everywhere. It's like, it's kind of like rain, right? When it rains, mm-hmm. it rains on the good and the bad. It, there's no discrimination. And fire does the same thing. So that's, I think, why fire is such a good effective image here. If you could think of a forest fire, the the dry trees are going to get burned up, but so are the green ones because the fire will be so intense, which, of course, calls us to Jesus' words as the uh, women of Jerusalem are weeping over and lamenting over Jesus and what's happening to him as he's headed to die on the cross. And uh, he says, you know, if this is what they do, when the, the the wood is green, what are they going to do when it's dry? So weep for yourself. I, I I'm the righteous one, and you're not. And if this judgment happens to me, what's going to happen to you? Fire is, I think, a very particularly well chosen image here because of the precisely the reason that you're, you're saying the the part of Texas where I am is is sometimes called the Lost Pines because there's this section of pine trees that that are just sort of out here among not pine trees. Mm -hmm. And it's been about 11 years ago where there was a really bad wildfire that struck this part of of Texas. And it was quite something to see how, yeah, the fire, it didn't care what was there. It just burned. And you did have some of that, like you were describing sort of this indiscriminate, like this property would be burned and then something would have been safe over there, but then everywhere else is totally black. And the green tree, the dry tree, all, I mean, just charred afterwards. It's, it's quite the image. If you've ever been in a wildfire out west or, or wherever they might have happened, you can you can picture this in your mind and this just you know indiscriminate burning. It's all going to be burned. That then becomes the image of the sword, that it doesn't matter who you are, the sword's going to get you. Now, this may seem strange or even offensive, particularly in light of some of the things that Ezekiel's preached previously. In Ezekiel chapter 18, the Lord was at pains to tell his people, look, if the righteous, if the person is righteous by faith, of course, he'll live. And if the person is wicked, he'll die. Here you've got 
righteous and wicked alike being swept aside by this sword or killed by the sword. How how does that mesh with what Ezekiel's preached back in chapter 18? Right. So this is offensive, isn't it? <laughs> because it is universal and everybody gets it. This is, you know, this outward judgment, much, you know, like war or a natural disaster, it does affect everybody. And yet the Lord knows who are his own and he's protecting them eternally. He's, he's caring for them and they, they will land differently than the unrighteous. But from the world's point of view, from an outward point of view, it's not going to look any different when this kind of, when, well, when Israel's carried away in captivity, it's, it's, it's going to affect them all. Hmm. A good example of that might just be the the prophet Jeremiah, who who certainly is righteous as he is preaching back there in Jerusalem to the people of Judah, and yet he, the horrors of what happens to Jerusalem and Judah under the hands of Nebuchadnezzar happens to to Jeremiah, and although he never ends up in exile in Babylon, he ends up in Egypt and likely dies there. He he experiences this sword just right along with with all the wicked to whom he was calling repentance. So maybe, maybe he's probably a good example in the flash of what Ezekiel is describing here. We'll, we'll pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel 20 and 21, Pastor David Fleming. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS-recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, October 14th. We're studying Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 45 through 21, verse 17 with Pastor David Fleming. He serves as associate pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and executive director of spiritual care with Doxology. Pastor Fleming, prior to the break, we were talking about this riddle of the sword, which begins with the image of a fire that sweeps through the Southland, and then the Lord describes that riddle, explains that riddle to Ezekiel as the sword that he's going to bring against his people there in Jerusalem. It's going to affect righteous and wicked alike. In the middle of this, after the Lord gives the riddle, before he explains it, we actually get to hear from Ezekiel, which is unusual for Ezekiel, at least compared to a prophet like Jeremiah. Ezekiel, we don't hear a lot of his own inner thoughts or his own exclamations, but we get something from him in 2049. He says, Ah, Lord God, they are saying of me, is he not a maker of parables? What What's Ezekiel saying there? He's saying they're, they're just going to mock me for using this parable of fire and destroying everything. And that doesn't probably partially because it doesn't seem to match with some of the other things he's taught, I suppose. But his his word of warning is just mocked and rejected. And, and he's letting the Lord know, he's lamenting, I think, that this is uh, this is really challenging for him. I, You know, the, the work of proclaiming the word of the Lord is, I mean, so often we're 
you know, kind of poo-pooed, we're just ignored, we're mocked, we're whatever. And obviously we have to ground ourselves in what the Lord thinks of us, but it is a painful business from a human point of view. And we're not in this to be liked, or we ought not be, but we ought to be in it to be faithful. And and Ezekiel's letting us in to know, I think, like John the Baptist, that this is this is difficult work. Hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, he certainly stands in the same line of the other faithful prophets that received rejection by and large from the people to whom he was sent to preach. The Lord told Ezekiel that right away, that I'm sending you to a rebellious house. Their forehead's going to be really hard like Flint. I'm going to make yours harder, but but it's not going to be the most receptive crowd that you're preaching to. And and here, yeah, I mean, you get a, a picture of that, that the people apparently we're, we're saying, you know, ah, he's just, he's making a parable here. Maybe a, you might see, I think as well, a glimpse into some of the ways that people try to put the word of God at arm's length rather than, than taking it to heart and listening it. They say, well, the, the preacher's a bit off his rocker. And so <laughs> I don't have to listen. That's never happened to us, has it? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And it, indeed with, I mean, even they're punning around here with this making of parables that he's he's just saying stuff that doesn't even actually kind of make sense. It's it's not from the Lord. It's just silliness. So the Lord strengthens him to continue to preach, even in that environment. The Lord knows the objection that he's going to receive. So the Lord strengthens him. He gives this explanation of the riddle, of the parable, with the sword. And we we talked earlier that it's a rather frightening picture of this sword that's going to be pulled from its sheath. I mean, you, you can picture this in your mind, and it's going to swing back and forth, cutting down indiscriminately those who are there in Jerusalem. And, and the Lord says, I'm not even going to put it back in its sheath again. Now, again, this is going to continue later beyond the text we've got for today, but this is a pretty horrifying picture of, of the Lord wielding his sword. It uh, reminds you a bit of maybe oh, a helicopter blade or a, yeah. you know, a blades on a prop plane, you know, that just, if you happen to be in their path, forget it. You know? And it's, yeah, it's exceedingly frightening. And it's going to get kind of detail with all this flashing going on that we'll be talking about in the song. But here it goes everywhere and it's going to be visible to all and it it's going to frighten Ezekiel. It's going to frighten everyone else. And uh, in fact, then he sort of acts this out, doesn't he? If, if we could go there. Although one, I guess one more point on this, it's not going to be sheathed. We are going to hear God say it is going to be sheathed. I think in what uh, chapter 21 verse 30, if I remember, turn it to a sheath, there is going to be that point where finally that, that could be put away. I, I do think that's a picture of what's coming at the death of Jesus, right? Where he does say it is finished, which mm-hmm. is pregnant on lots of levels. The prophecies are all finished and everything, but I think the judgment's finished too, right? He's taken the full judgment for all our sin. And I don't, I think when you look at the actual cross of Jesus as it's happening, that's a pretty frightening image of this completely innocent man who is also God being condemned this way. And, and it, of course, that judgment, that is the judgment of judgments so that God's judgment is not on us who are under the sun. And he does say it is finished. So the, the sword is put away as Jesus fulfills it all for us. 
Yeah, I think that's a great connection. And it is helpful to see that by the end of this chapter, the sword will be sheathed, which which should be a comfort. There have been other places where the Lord has talked about, you know, his fury or his wrath being poured out. And then he'll add something to the effect of until it is satisfied. And and again, I think that's the same connection. And and although, you know, as we have in this case with the sword, while it is being swung, it is a terrifying thing to know that there is a a finishing or a sheathing of the sword, a satisfaction, that is that is a, a good news. And and to see then that it's ultimately satisfied, finished, sheathed, because the judgment's been poured out on Jesus, that's the ultimate good news for for us sinners who deserve what's being spoken here. Indeed. And, uh, you know, in Revelation, every every one of the kind of destructions and all that, they all have their limits. <laughs> They're all for a number of days or a period of time or whatever until the final judgment. And then there's the fire that does not go out. But uh, yeah, this is all fulfilled in Jesus who finishes it off for us. Before we move into that song of the sword in verses eight and following, Pastor Fleming, these, these last two verses of this section in verses six through seven sound like what we've been calling an action prophecy, which Ezekiel's given many of them. Some of them are very strange. This one isn't quite as strange. He talk, he's told to groan. Uh, sounds like he's mourning. What's this action prophecy he's given in this section? Sure. Yeah. So he is called to groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes so that they'll say, why do you groan? This almost looks like, well, look at what else he says here, right? Every spirit will will faint, all knees will be weak as water. It's almost the image of of giving birth almost. I that they're they're just he's in pain and agony because he sees what's coming. And he's to do this groaning so people will go, what in the world are you doing? What why are you so upset? And well, because he could see what's coming. And you know the the church has this, doesn't it? We 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 see what's coming and which makes us you know groan over those who reject the lord and his word and gifts and and won't receive the forgiveness and life that our lord offers them i mean it, it breaks our heart doesn't it but we're not we're not just oh oh good day you know good thing they're going to get it we're we like ezekiel like jesus we weep over those who won't repent yeah, yeah, and that that's I mean, we saw that with the prophet Jeremiah. It's certainly true of Ezekiel and fulfilled in Jesus. As, as you were talking there about that you know, that mourning, I I was reminded of what Jesus says in the Beatitudes: "Blessed then are those who mourn, for they will be comforted." And again, that's the you know that's what's coming, right? Ezekiel is giving us, as you pointed out at the very beginning, we're in that section of Ezekiel's prophecy where he is speaking those words of judgment that do lead to that mourning for those who are repentant. But then that that comfort is coming and. and and it is. It will get there. <laughs> we'll get there. It's coming. It especially strong in in chapters thirty three and following. But that it's always good to have that reminder, even in the midst of the judgment. Here, any more on on this section of the text before we move into the song of the sword? I think we're ready to move on. That's great. All right. So we're picking up now again in Ezekiel twenty one, now verse eight. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, say. A sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened for slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Or shall we rejoice? You have despised the rod, my son, with everything of wood. So the sword is given to be polished, that it may be grasped in the hand. 
It is sharpened and polished to be given into the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, son of man, for it is against my people. It is against all the princes of Israel. They are delivered over to the sword with my people. Strike therefore upon your thigh, for it will not be a testing. What could it do if you despise the rod, declares the Lord God? As for you, son of man, prophesy. Clap your hands and let the sword come down twice, yes, three times, the sword for those to be slain. It is the sword for the great slaughter, which surrounds them, that their hearts may melt and many stumble. At their gates I have given the glittering sword. Ah, it is made like lightning. It is taken up for slaughter. Cut sharply to the right, set yourself to the left, wherever your face is directed. I also will clap my hands and I will satisfy my fury. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Ezekiel 21, verses 8 through 17. Pastor Filming, we've been calling this the song of the sword. What what about this text indicates that it's a, a song? It's a poetic setting here. So this is in Hebrew poetry style, which it, it is, uh, it's even for experts in Hebrew, this is pretty tough Hebrew to translate, actually, because it's poetic in style. So you use language uh, more sparsely, and each word is carrying a little more weight. And sometimes words are used a little differently than they would be used in normal speech. I mean, we know this from poetry and hymnody, right, normally. And you've got that same kind of thing going on here. So that's why it's the song of the sword, because it's in this poetic form. Okay, so with with that in mind, then there are going to be some some verses here that are going to be difficult. They were difficult for the translators to put into English, and then difficult maybe to understand precisely what's being said. Although I think in general, the picture of this sword coming down in great judgment, you know, carrying over some of those those themes from the riddle that there's going to be indiscriminate. Everyone's going to be be wiped out, going to be slain here. Those things carry over. One of the, the images, and, and I found this helpful as I was thinking through this text as a whole, is the sword is both sharpened and polished, and there's this flashing, which I, I mean, it sounds like it just, I mean, trying to picture these things. There you've got the fire and the sword coming together. And again, this brilliantly terrifying image of the sword. Wow, I had not thought of that fire aspect. That's actually beautiful, Pastor Apple. Uh, that, yes, indeed, because it is flashing. Uh, like and it would look like fire as it's spinning around and uh, slaughtering and of course polished so it's more effective in doing its job right there's less drag on it so it can um, really hack away as it's uh, designed to do right what what other features do you see in this in this song that we really need to to pay attention to well, I think it, it's going, it's indiscriminate. So it's going against everyone like the fire we talked about before. So it's even going to go against my people. And it's, I, you know, there's a, I was reading different commentaries on this and some Lutheran commentators go, you know, this sort of breaks God's heart that he has to say this, it's going against my people. And, and and yet, on the other hand, maybe it's just really kind of matter of fact. Okay, you're called my people, but you're not sort of living that way. So this you've you've failed to repent as I've disciplined you. So this judgment is coming on all of you. And it's a uh, this isn't a test. <laughs> this is this is the real thing, and it's not just a 
a fake warning about something that's not going to happen. This will happen and it's going to happen against my people. And now is the time to repent, to be ready for that. Yeah, it's it's hard to know precisely what what emotion might be attached to that. The fact that the sword is against my people. There, there are plenty of other places I think in the scriptures where the Lord will use that. I mean, it is it's covenant language. You know that that He wants to be their God so that they would be His people. And I, I think you can see both of the things that that you've described in, in other places where He He calls out to them as my people with this sense of, of longing, you know, why have you rejected me? And then other places where there is maybe a bit more, more distance, he's simply stating this as a matter of fact, and yeah, you are my people, but this is going to happen to you. And, and maybe it's a, a mixture of both going on here in Ezekiel with, with the sword and the way that it's described just as, you know, this, this flashing sword that's going to strike twice, maybe three times, and it's going to catch everybody there maybe seems to be a bit more distance in the context, but I, I think scripturally speaking, you could see both things perhaps going on. It is. And that covenant that, that they are my people, that that's always associated with that beautiful word, said, which, you know, is translated with loving kindness or in it, his enduring love, his, uh, it's in that beautiful thing we say all the time, oh, give thanks in the Lord for he is goodness, mercy is, uh, endures forever. And, and that word is that God sticks with loving people because he promised to love them. And he, he should have picked better, but he sticks with it anyway, because he promised to. And, mm-hmm. and, and this almost sounds like he's going against that but of course he isn't and that's you, you got to read the whole book to be able to, right. to put it in the right context but but when the law is being preached when the judgment's coming it's really coming this is this isn't just a little cloud or minor little problem this is real and again a, a call for us to examine ourselves and um and and i think for Sometimes Christians, faithful Christians, have had to live through some pretty awful things, haven't they? Like when the Nazis were ruling Germany and and just I've got members in the congregation I serve here who lived through Nazi Germany as Germans. And, and they wow. couldn't stand the Nazis. They weren't supportive. But then all the things that happened to Germany happened to them, too, even though they were, you know, really, I guess we'd say innocent or righteous. But they... You know, they, the Lord took care of them through that and saw them through, but that destruction was real and, and it happened to everybody. In terms of some of the other language of the song of the sword, it, it, he's told to clap his hands and I think there, and then the Lord says he's going to clap his hands as well. And I, I'm struggling to find it now. I thought there was a part about slapping his thigh. Maybe that was in the previous section. I, I can't, I can't find it now off the top of my head, but is this, is this a part of Ezekiel's action prophecy, the clapping of the hands? And, and if, and even if it's not, what, what does that language signify? Yeah, so I, you know, I'm not exactly certain. I it so allow a dumb modern analogy. It, it reminds me. So, I'm, sadly, I'm an Oklahoma Sooner fan, and uh, recently they played a football game against uh, Texas, and the quarterbacks uh, to hike the ball would clap their hands. Right, that was mm-hmm. the way to get things happening. Uh, it seems that that's the image here, right? That the that the the clapping. 
causes it to happen. And you could see that verse 14, right? Clap your hands and let the sword come down twice. Yes, three times. Uh, so the, the, the clapping seems to be like, you know, calling the, the mm-hmm. troops into battle, sending them in to accomplish it. And then that, if that's the case, that closing then in 17, I also will clap my hands and I will satisfy my fury that the Lord is going to initiate this judgment. He really is going to do it and he will be satisfied. But uh, th- I think that that's an important point to, to see that the Lord claps his hands there. And, and if, if that is the case, you know, this is the initiation of the, the action, the clapping of the hands. There, I, a couple of commentaries that I consulted suggested, you know, in this part of this, the section of the sword with the song, sometimes it seems as if the sword is its own independent agent, that the sword is just kind of acting on its own. And yet... You have that phrase right there that is very clear, and we know from the previous section as well that, no, this is the sword. I mean, you you need to picture the Lord as Yahweh Tzabaoth, the Lord of hosts here, the general of the army, and he's pulled his sword out of his sheath. He's holding it. He's the one bringing the judgment, which is, you know, we don't often... That's not Jesus, the good shepherd picture that's in some of our churches. I don't, I don't know if we have this picture of Jesus in our churches very often. Maybe, maybe we should. We sing about him as Lord of hosts, but that's, this is the picture here. And he's, he's bringing that sword upon his own people. That's the, again, that call to repentance of this text. It is a picture. I, it, it, there is a picture in our church of Jesus on the throne with the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, which is uh, from Revelation chapter one, of course, and also what calls to mind uh, the author of Hebrews making this point too about the two-edged yeah. sword, um, and he is the one wielding the sword, uh, and and that's. Now the word cutting us or cutting out our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, but I'm running farther down Ezekiel and I'm cheating. But but yes, the Lord's the one completely in control of this sword. Oh, there is another image of our church too on Judgment Day, which is it's it's not the most comforting image to some people. I, I remember the the artist who did this, they were doing an article about him at the newspaper he worked at, and the religious religion editor was assigned this responsibility to take a look at this artwork and interview the artist. And when he got to the section, it's a depiction of the Tadam, so it's got the judgment where Jesus is judging, and the believers gathered on his right hand, welcomed with his open hand, and the unbelievers with the scales of justice in Jesus' left hand, because that's what they think God's about, and they're in the fire. Uh, come to think of it, and the angel there has a sword. Oh my goodness, I didn't think of that before. And and that and when the religion editor saw that image, he you could tell his expression changed, and he wasn't going to write anything positive about this anymore, not very much, because he didn't like the concept that there's a coming judgment. But there is, and it's real, and and our Lord is the one in in control of that judgment. Well, and so maybe this this can help us into some conversation here. We got about four minutes now to to talk about how how we take this text and and what what's the good of it for us as Christians. How do we make use of it still? And I, I think it, toward the beginning when we were talking about this text, you said that that God's judgment is good for us. I, I think that you you told me that. And yes, I did. and I, so so how. I mean that that you know we see an image like like you're talking about and and we react. Oh, wait a second, that that can't be right. 
And you're saying God's good judgment is good. That doesn't sound right, but but it is. How is it good for us, Pastor Fleming? Sure. So um, it's good for us in a number of different ways. First, it's it's good when there is even this universal thing that happened such as the Babylonian captivity and the fall of Jerusalem and all that, because it did purge away from God's people the idolatry uh, from them. And when they are able to reestablish the worship at the, at the temple, it is directed rightly, at least for a time. And they restore the love of the word of God and receiving it. And so even if you think of, let's say, let's take World War II as a sort of universal judgment in a way, if you were oh, a German, if you're a faithful Christian, yes, it was a difficult thing to live through, but it would push you back to the Lord and his word and his gifts to bring you comfort and strength in the midst of it. Secondly, in the Magnificat, for example, Mary rejoices over the proud and arrogant and evil being put down from their thrones and seats. And I do take comfort that, I mean, I love unborn babies. It breaks my heart that we have rulers who don't care about the the unheard screams of our unborn brothers and sisters. And, you know, those who could have acted and didn't to defend them, I mean, they are going to be put down from their seats of authority. And that's a good thing for us, that uh Evil is not going to continue to triumph forever, and people who make party with that evil, who join in it, that they're not going to survive forever in that evil doing. And and third, I think it's a great gift that our Lord is going to return at the end to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to judge based on the absolute truth. He is the God who knows us inside and out. He sees us through the sacrifice of Jesus as we trust in him. And so for his faithful, the return of Jesus and the the judgment of all flesh is of great comfort because then all that's sinful in me will be gone. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I will see his lovely face, right? And all the evil that we experience around us, all the hatred of man toward man and uh, against, again, our unborn brothers and sisters, for example, or the mistreatment of innocent people, that that will all be expunged and gone forever. And that is good news, right? If uh, you, We want a world, we want an eternity free of all that's wrong and broken and sinful. And, and so, and you need judgment to be able to get there, to get justice and have it right. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And Amen. Pastor David Fleming is associate pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and also executive director of spiritual care with Doxology, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 45 through 21, verse 17. Pastor Fleming, thanks for being our guest. Thanks so much, Pastor Apple. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.